0: Uh, all the football teams that I cheer for are still undefeated this far into the season. Big goose egg in the l column because they haven 't lost a regular season game yet i 'm sure you 're jealous. you wish your team were that way. Uh, that is the great thing about the preseason nobody 's lost yet everybody 's undefeated and we 're stepping into if you 're a sports fan, I realize not everybody's a sports fan if you 're not a sports fan, thank you for being with us and humoring us for this this series. Uh, But if you are a sports fan, you know that we're stepping into one of the best seasons of the year for sports because so many different sports are either culminating or are kicking off college football, professional football. Baseball season is now headed toward the divisional champions, like the race is on for divisional champions in baseball, and then you're going to have playoffs, and then you're going to have the World Series, and then about the time the World Series end, the NBA is starting, and then right after the NBA, college basketball is starting, and along that same time, the uh, Atlanta United MLS playoffs are going to be here, and then the MLS Cup is going to be after that. This is one of the times of year, sort of the perfect storm for sports, because there's so much that's going on. Contrasted with, there are times of the year, there's just not a lot going on sports-wise. Either your team's out of it, or... Not everybody's interested in the same sport. So sometimes there's a season where a sport's going, you're just not interested in that sport. So we have off-seasons when it comes to sports. But even in the off-season, people are continually trying to find ways to feed the sport's appetite and, and probably motivated by making money. So, so we every five or ten years... We have another attempt at a knockoff football league like we had last spring. And we have this attempt to do an NFL junior league during a time of year when hopefully people will watch and they fail every single time. I don't know who has this much money just to throw away every time this idea comes up, but it fails every single time. And then there are uh, journalists who uh, try to keep the attention of sports fans all throughout the year. And they provide subscriptions to special insider content. Some of you are signed up, signed up for these. Pro football, uh, college football. You, you, you pay a monthly fee and you get special insider uh, information. Because we know there's sort of these peak seasons and empty seasons, and we're trying to make it through the off-season. Well, there are certain aspects of life where you don't want an off-season. You don't want really good and then, you know, six months off, and then really happening and then three months off-season. These are the undefeated teams that we're talking about. What, What are those qualities... What are those characteristics that we want in our life, not just sometimes, but all the time? Uh, it, uh, another way that uh, sports tries to capture the off-season is replaying really big games. Like last year's championship game or last year's really close playoff game I'm not a big watch a game that happened a year ago person or watch a game that happened five years ago person maybe you are Um, I'm not for two reasons number one it's already happened I already know how it's going to end I just I don't get excited when I when I know how this is going to play out and then number two my teams are never in championship games so like it's that's never my team that I'm having to watch uh, Falcons fans, have any of you watched the 28-3 Super Bowl again? Like, would you do that to yourself? That, that would be just awful to do that to yourself. Uh, but some people do. Some people watch old games because they just want to see that particular sport. Uh, we're, we're talking about qualities in our life that we never take in off-season. Right? We, we never want to quit. And last year we talked about hope, just how much we need hope on a constant basis, the expectation of good. Not necessarily that my circumstances are going to work out this specific way, but that we serve a good God and that He is working good all of the time and I can be expectant of that happening. I want to talk about another one today and it's love. Uh, Love in the way that it's described in the Bible, has never been defeated. It's never failed. It's never been defeated. It never has an off-season. Love is something we want all the time, and we will win all the time if we figure out how to love in the way that the Bible says to love. Now, over in the New Testament, close to the end of your Bible, uh, there's a chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes what is probably the quintessential description of what love is supposed to look like in all of the Bible. The most thorough description of what our love for one another is supposed to look like. You could maybe argue it's the best description in all of of literature that we are to love in a very specific manner. Now, when you read the Bible... The Bible is consistent about who we are supposed to love. The Bible says we're supposed to love our spouses. We're supposed to love our kids. We're supposed to love each other in the church. We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to love our neighbor. And Jesus, when asked to illustrate what a neighbor was, Jesus basically said, you're supposed to love people who aren't at all like you. You're supposed to love people whose culture is different from yours, whose race is different from yours, whose background is different from yours. So to sum it up, if you read everybody in the Bible that we're commanded to love, we're commanded to love everybody. The the command is, love everyone. Don't ever fail at loving. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul defines what that looks like. In chapter 12, before he gets to 13, Paul has been talking to the Corinthians, people who lived in Corinth, went to this church in Corinth. Paul has been talking to them about giftedness and strengths because this had become a source of conflict in their church. Some of them thought they were more important because they had a certain skill set. Some of them thought they were more spiritual because they had certain abilities. They had certain giftedness from God. And because they could do this and other people couldn't do that, they thought they were better than everybody else. And Paul tries to straighten this out in chapter twelve by saying, Look, we need everybody. Play nice. Like we need everybody's strength. We need everybody's abilities. You need what other people do. They need what you do. We should try to bring all of our giftedness together so that we balance one another out and we make up for each other's weaknesses. Everybody's giftedness matters. And then he gets to the end of that chapter, which Paul didn't write in chapters. He just wrote a letter. But what's the end of our chapter 12 says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. In other words, giftedness is great. Abilities are great. What you do really well is good. It's needed. We need your giftedness and my giftedness and everybody's giftedness, but that is not the most important thing we need to talk about. That is not the highest priority, the most excellent way, Paul says, is this. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. The most excellent way is not what you do well. It's not your skill set. It's not your abilities or your strengths. It's how well you love. Paul uses the Greek word agape when he uses love. Agape had not been used much in Greek literature up to this point. It was kind of an obscure word. Uh, there was a word for friendship love, brotherly love. We get Philadelphia from that Greek word. There was a word that meant, I like you because we're friends. I love you because we're close. I love you because I know you and you're my friend and we hang out. There was that word. There was a word for um Intimate love, sexual love, attraction. It was that eros. That word existed and was in use. But the Christians come along and they're thinking, Where do, God doesn't really mean those kinds of love. What kind of love does God mean? So they pull this obscure word and they attach it to God because they're trying to describe a love that loves in spite of everything else. A love that loves not based on the worthiness of the person that's being loved, but based on the nature of the one who's doing the loving. We're told in the New Testament that God is love. This is the way He loves us. He doesn't love us because we're really smart or or really attractive or really successful. He doesn't love us because we're somehow worthy. We're somehow this great person because... Truth be told, we've all kind of messed some things up. We're not the greatest at everything. Um, We have some shortcomings. And yet, God loves us anyway. And so Paul's saying now, the way that God loves us, not dependent upon our worthiness, that's how you're supposed to love everybody you meet. You're not supposed to have some scorecard that you pull out and say, okay, well, if you do these things for me, then I'll love you. It's not supposed to be contractual. You do this for me, so in return, I'll like you, I'll love you. If you're committed to me, then I'll be committed to you. Not that sort of thing. But a love that comes out of our nature that desires to simply love. In spite of the other person, Because the other person is made in the image of God and valuable eternally, I want to love them. Now, Paul gives a list of examples of things that we might substitute for love. And he chose the things that were really important to the Corinthians. For this church, they took pride in communication, languages, being able to communicate the Bible well, or even being able to speak in a mysterious spiritual language. If you could do that, then you were really, really spiritual. He talked about prophesying, he talked about understanding great spiritual mysteries, or having this super knowledge, being very intelligent. Those were the things that were important to Corinth. I think you could substitute whatever's most important for you. Like whatever you look at and think, well, this is the highest point of humanity. This is the highest point of spirituality. If you can do this, then I think you're a really great person or you're a really spiritual person. And maybe it's leadership. Maybe you look at somebody that's a good leader and you just think, well, that's, the, that's what I want to strive for. Or maybe somebody's good at decision making. Maybe somebody who's really successful. You can substitute anything for these blanks because at the end of the conversation, Paul says, that minus love equals nothing. That thing, that skill, that ability that you're so proud of, if it doesn't include love, then it's not effective ultimately. Ultimately. He, he gives the visual image of a gong or a cymbal. You're just noise, he says. Anybody been to, um, been to a symphony? And whatever symphony they were performing, there was a, they were going to use a gong. And usually the gong is back in the back where the percussion section is. And at some point in the symphony, somebody walks over there and it's usually, it's usually just one point and and warms up the gong and gives it a big clang and if you're not expecting if you don't see them move to the gong it's startling it gets your attention and it's interesting it's like that was different that was interesting some of you haven't been to a symphony like that some of you remember the gong show right if, if you're a symphony person or if you're a gong show person you you get what i'm saying the gong is startling like it it stands out above everything else. But if you played the gong for an hour, it would be annoying, wouldn't it? It would not be fun anymore. It would not be interesting anymore. We have cymbals right here waiting to be played. Zach and uh, John O and Jason and our, and our other drummers, w- when they hit the cymbal, it's kind of an energy rush, right? It's like it's excitement. Just a little crash here, a little crash there. But if for 30 minutes straight, this is all we did, it would not be exciting. It would not be fun. We would want to tear their arms off, wouldn't we? Like It would not be interesting. It would be annoying because it would just be noise. You see, what symbols don't carry... And what gongs don't carry is they don't carry melody. They can add some energy. They can add some excitement. But they don't create beauty. I think Paul's arguing the melody of life, the melody of relationships, the melody of your spiritual life is love. The harmony, the beauty... The thing you really listen for, is love. And it's okay to have some symbols crashing. It's okay to have some skills. It's okay to be talented in some areas. But that's not the melody. The melody is in how well you and I love each other, how well you and I love people who are like us and people who aren't at all like us, racially, culturally. Language, background, experience, socioeconomic status. How do we love across the board? Well, Paul defines what this would look like. If you want to do this, Paul defines it in this way, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And let's just admit, at the beginning, that's a really big list. That's a really hard list. It's probably not what we think of when we ask if we love somebody. We, we live in a world, we, we live in a time where love is often equated with a feeling. I feel something about you, that means I love you. I have this warm fuzzy, I have a warm tingly for you. And when I see you, I know, I feel that and I love you. That's how we often define love. That's not how Paul defines love. We talk about love as if it's involuntary like I can't help I fell in love we talk about being love struck it just came over me it was just that moment and i saw her i saw him and i loved them that's not the way paul or the bible talks about love we sometimes define love even as well i don't hate you do you love them? Oh, I don't hate them. Yeah, okay, I guess I love them. That leaves room for a whole lot of things. If love is just, I can tolerate you. Paul says, no, there's, there's actually actions and attitude in love... And if you don't display these to other people, you don't really love them. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is often read at weddings. Every time I do a wedding, I'm going to read something from 1 Corinthians 13. did a wedding eight days ago for a beautiful young couple in our church, read from this chapter. But this chapter isn't primarily to married people, although that can be an application. This is to us. You are to love in this specific way And Paul says that way includes being patient and kind. If you want to evaluate whether you love somebody or not, not, how patient are you with them and how kind have you been to them? Paul would say. He's not talking about patient in circumstances. He's not talking about the checkout line at Kroger. I'm learning patience. He's talking about patience with a person. Love is... That I can be patient with you knowing that you're not like me. You like things I don't like. You have ways of doing things that are different from the way I do things. I can give you room to be you. I can give you room to still be growing and still be maturing and making some mistakes. And you can give me the same room. You can give me the patience to know that I'm not exactly like you. My experiences aren't your experiences. And so I probably say some things to see some things and do some things differently from you, and you can give me patience and room for that. You can give me patience to know that I'm, I'm not full grown yet. like I, I'm not fully mature yet. I'm still working out some things. I, I've got some bad habits I'm still working with. You can give me room because you love me. You can give me patience, and I can give you patience. And Paul says that's what love looks like. It looks like patience. It looks like Kindness. And then he gives a whole list, and, and, and we're not going to go through all of them, but he gives a whole list of what love is not like. And, and if I could sum it up in one phrase, it would be, in order to love, I have to get me out of the way. Like If I want to love you, I can't always be thinking about me. I have to get me out of the way. So he says things like, love doesn't envy. I'm never jealous of something good that happens in your life. I I celebrate that because I want the best for you. I love you. I want the best for you. I don't keep up with all the mistakes that you've made. As if I'm harboring those over here to use against you. Like I'm not building up my defense case if we ever get in an argument. I want to remember all of the ways that you've messed up. That's not love. I let those things go. I, I offer forgiveness freely. I offer forgiveness because that's what love does. Love doesn't, Paul say, says, love doesn't dishonor anyone. So the opposite of that, love does honor I want to celebrate you. I want to find ways to honor you. You don't have to be just like me. But I want to find ways for the spotlight to hit on you. I want to find ways to celebrate you. Because that's what love looks like. It looks like me not thinking about me all of the time. We might think that the opposite of love is hate. It could be that the opposite of love is arrogance. The opposite of love is arrogance because if I only think of me, if I am filled with pride, I don't have any room to consider you. And so hate is the result of my arrogance. Anger is the result of my pride. You know what we see happening in our country right now? The hate that we see, the prejudice that we see, the racism that we see. It comes out of arrogance, It comes out of pride. Like, I think I'm better than everybody else, and I'm focused on me, and there's no room for you and your kind and people like you. What? That's arrogance. Hate is the fruit of arrogance, and it's the opposite of love. In my life, there has to be room for other people that I can celebrate, that I can spotlight, that I can look to. Paul then says, love, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And then this phrase, love never fails. Undefeated, every time, undefeated. Never fails, never quits, it never runs out, it never ends. We're never going to get to a time in this life or in the next life where we don't need love anymore. Like I said, that's a pretty big list. And if you really walked through everything that Paul says that we're to do and we're to not do, that's a really big list and probably is going to require some practice on our part. This time of year in the football season, college pro, high school, middle school, peewee, everybody's practicing right now. Maybe they're scrimmaging. Maybe they're having preseason games. They're not having real games. They're not suiting up and having a real game. They're running drills. How fast can you run? Cone drills, blocking drills. Wide receivers are running routes. Make sure you get the routes right. You know how far down you're supposed to go. How many yards this route is? Do you cut it off? Do you? We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to learn the playbook. Quarterbacks are going to work on their footwork. They're going to work on reading defense, so we're going to practice that. Do I see it correctly? Did I respond correctly? Linemen are working on blocking technique or rushing technique. We're practicing it so that we get it right, so that when we get in the game, we don't have to think about it. It just becomes natural. This is the way I respond in the moment because I practiced it. We don't ever think of love this way, but maybe we need to practice love. Maybe we need some practice. Maybe... Patience and kindness, and not getting angry and honoring somebody else. Maybe we just need some drills. Tomorrow, we would practice love for a specific person that you work with, that you're going to see, that lives in your house, that's your next door neighbor. I'm going to practice these things so that I would learn to love consistently. Throughout my life. How do I honor somebody tomorrow so that I'm an expression of love? He writes, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when, we, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. In other words... There's some things that we're doing right now that have some value, and at some point we're going to stop doing those. But love's not one of those. As I was reading through this, uh, this week, <clears throat> it occurred to me that some people are going to go to heaven and they're going to have a really difficult transition when they get there. They're going to get to heaven And there's going to be this awkward transition for them because their whole self-image and self-worth and spiritual self-worth has been in something other than love. And when they get to heaven, that thing's not even going to be needed anymore. I like to teach. I like to do this. Um, I like to talk and um, have a captive audience that has to listen. Um, I, I, like, I, I like studying. I like reading. I, I like making connections in God's Word. And, and hopefully, at least some of the time, coming on Sunday morning and presenting it to you, and, and maybe it helps you understand God more. It helps you understand the Bible more, or love God more, or live for God more. I like doing this. When I get to heaven nobody's going to ask me to preach. Nobody. Nobody's going to say, Ken, can you please explain Romans to us? I'll be like, that guy wrote it. Maybe you should ask him. I mean, we're going to stand in front of Jesus who who came and died and rose again as our Savior, and He's the Messiah, and and God's going to be on His throne, and the angels are going to be doing their thing and flying around and singing, Holy, 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 and nobody's going to say, Kim, would you lead the devotion this morning? Because we all want to hear it. I'm not going to do this when I get to heaven. Nobody's going to need me teaching them when I get to heaven. There's still going to be loving going on in heaven, though still going to be love. And if you've built your spiritual self-worth or your personal self-worth around how, how much you know about the Bible, how good you are at explaining doctrine and theology, you're going to get to heaven one day and nobody's going to ask you about doctrine and theology. Because the answer to doctrine is going to be standing in front of us. His name's Jesus. Nobody's going to say, like, what was that whole tulip thing about in Calvinism? Can you run that by me one more time? <laughs> Nobody's going to ask that. If you build your self worth exclusively on helping the poor and the vulnerable and the victims of injustice, like that, that is what you're pouring everything into. You're going to get to heaven and not know what to do because that's not going to be there. Nobody's going to need that in heaven. Now, we need all of that here. We need good teaching. We need to study God's word. We need good doctrine and good theology and and know what the Bible says. We need people serving. We all need to be serving the poor. We need to be standing up for injustice. All of that needs to happen here. But Paul says if you do all of that and you don't love, here's what's going to happen that's going to stop one day. It's going to cease. It's not going to go on for all eternity. The degree to which you have learned to love is the degree to which you're going to be comfortable when we get to heaven. He even talks about maturity. Verse 11, when I was a child... I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the way of childhood behind me. Makes perfect sense. Biological, human growth example. There were things I did as a kid that were childish, and I don't do them anymore. There was a way I lived as a kid. I don't live that way anymore. I live differently now. The overall argument of chapter 13 makes me think that primarily what Paul is saying is the more I mature, the more I become like Jesus, the more I grow spiritually, the older I get, I should look more like love. If you you want to know what maturity looks like, if you want to know what growth looks like, the primary characteristics... A characteristic of maturity is love. It's not the only characteristic. Like I said, we need other things. We need to know truth, and, and we need to serve the poor. We need other things, but the primary characteristic that you are growing up is how well you love. Now, typically, we think of getting older differently from that. And maybe it's just the movies, and maybe it's just TV, but... We tend to characterize getting old with words like um, cantankerous. Not any of you. Your parents. Crotchety. We say things like, uh, they just got to a certain age and they lost their filter. Like it just... They don't hold anything back. It's just out. Now, Sometimes we talk about getting old in these terms of becoming harsher, more rigid, more bitter. Paul says, when I was a child, there was a lot of things I did that were childish. And then I grew up. And growing up and getting older and reaching maturity looks like love that's what it looks like more than anything else maturity looks like love so then we have to ask how much do i look like love how much when somebody is around me when i have a conversation when i spend time with somebody How many times do they walk away and the dominant memory they have is that they felt that they were loved. They were honored. They were celebrated. They were known and appreciated. Wouldn't it be great if that became our measurement of personal growth and spiritual growth? That tomorrow when we Go to work and school and taking care of the kids and running errands. Tomorrow, we would look a little more like love than we did today. In a week from now, because we're practicing, we're running the drill, we're remembering that love is patient and kind. And it honors other people and it doesn't get angry. It doesn't keep a list of everybody's mistakes. We're putting that aside, and because we're practicing it a week from now, we look more like love. And a year from now, and five years from now, and one day we're older, and the people who come in contact with us when we're older, they don't walk away. And say, whew, they've gotten really cranky in their old age. Whew, he just tells you what he thinks in his old age. They walk away thinking, as they got older, they look more like love. That's what Paul's saying. Can we just look more like love? now these three remain faith hope love and the greatest of these is love god help us to look more like love may we look more like love today than we did yesterday May we look more like love tomorrow than we do today. May we look more like love in five years than we do right now. And that's going to take some practice. If we're waiting on a feeling to overtake us, if we're waiting for some warm thing to happen inside of us towards somebody, it's never going to come. It's going to happen because we practice love. To another person whether they deserve it or not whether they've earned it or not that we would be patient and kind that the agape the love of God that poured on my life would pour out of my life over other people and when they leave me they feel just a little more love Thank you for the love of Jesus, who demonstrated complete and total love for us by laying his life down for us when we did not deserve it. When we had not earned it, as Zach said earlier, while we were still sinners, he died for us because of his love. May we look more like that love every day. In Jesus' name.